Hello, everyone. Today is September 30th, 2016. I'm your podcast host, Client Manager John Nigel of InTouch Manufacturing Services. InTouch is an American-owned company headquartered in Shenzhen, China, that specializes in everything from quality control product inspections to factory audits, social compliance, and sourcing. The subject of today's podcast is three China sourcing mistakes you don't want to make. And joining me to talk about that today is fellow client manager Chao Wang. So welcome back, Chao. How are you? Good. Thank you, John. Good to be here. These sourcing mistakes are focused on China specifically. I think a number of them apply to other countries throughout Asia and sourcing in general. And glad that Chow is talking to me about it because Chow has been at InTouch for about three years as a client manager, and prior to that, he's had experience with factories in Japan and China as well for a couple of years. Is that right? That's right. I also been to Thailand a few times for some of the factories over there. Okay, great. So he's got a lot of experience that you know lends to some good advice here. So the first. China sourcing mistake that you talk about in this blog article that is, by the way, was published back in March of this year. This first mistake that you talk about here is paying before verifying the supplier. Let's talk about that a little bit. What do you mean there? I mean a lot of newer importers. Some of the sources they find suppliers are obviously like Alibaba, Main China, and these sites can sometimes be conceiving. So what happens is they kind of rate all the suppliers, and usually a new importer will go look for the top-rated supplier. But sometimes these ratings may not be a hundred percent accurate. So in order to make sure that the supplier is legitimate, there are a few steps you have to follow, and one of those steps is to request samples before actually paying the suppliers for a large amount of items. Yeah, I think, you know, paying before verifying the supplier—it's obviously a risky move because even though you're oftentimes just putting down a deposit, right, for an order, may not be paying for the full order up front. You could receive the shipment and find out that there's problems with quality. There may be delays, and you receive the goods later. So there's a lot of risk involved with going forward with any supplier. So I agree. Yeah, it's definitely important to verify them before working with them. So you've brought up here product samples. What does that do for an importer that's thinking about working with a supplier to have a sample in front of them? I guess of what the factory can produce. One thing is when you request a sample, you can look at the quality of the products if it's something that's similar to the product you want. Another good thing is if the first sample that's being sent over to you had a lot of issues, then you know this may not be a supplier that can produce the quality you want. The last thing is when you receive the sample, once finished verifying, you can actually sign the sample and make it into a golden sample or an approved sample, and then send it back to the factory. That way, in the future, if you're utilizing third-party inspections or using any type of inspection services, then they can have that approved sample as a reference when inspecting your products. Yeah, I think you know approved samples. Those come up a lot in different podcast episodes and blogs and other content that we put out there. Yeah, it's really interesting that a lot of importers don't bother with that process. I mean, it costs a little bit of money to have the factory produce the sample or have the supplier ship the sample to the customer first. But I think that it's definitely worth it to see what they can actually make before you go forward with mass production. 
And your point about having it available for inspection staff later to use for reference when they're checking the mass-produced items is definitely valuable advice too. So you've also talked here about auditing the supplier before ordering. And I know this is like a broad topic here, but what are the broad strokes of that? Why is it important to audit the supplier in addition to maybe seeing the product through a product sample? I mean, again, the suppliers they found online, even the rating on some of the big sites, they may not be 100% true. So what you have to do is actually going over to the factory itself or send someone you trust to the factory and just do even a simple verification of the factory's existence. That will help a lot. I mean, with the current technology, it doesn't take much to register a company and make a company look official online. But if it actually exists, you really just have to go there and check it out. The broad topics you can check out during the audit is how large is the facility, does the factory have standard documentation such as business license, export license? What's the stand of the factory's internal quality control department? Does the factory conduct lab testing? And how many R&D staff does the factory employ full time? Yeah, these are good points that you bring in. And it's funny too, that you mentioned just visiting the factory can give you so much information even if you don't do like a professional audit or hire a third party to do an audit because I've seen cases where I've gone with a client to visit a supplier or a potential supplier and we have an address in front of us but we don't know what to expect and we end up somewhere in like downtown Shenzhen in an office that's really tiny and has like three people working there when in fact the importer, the client, he thought that this was a huge factory with like very sophisticated manufacturing processes and like QC staff dedicated to quality. But really, it was just an office. So yeah, I think it's a great point that you have to actually check it out to really know what you're getting. And the points you mentioned about capacity, R&D staff, quality control, those are all valid too. You mentioned finding people online. And just to give people some perspective, if they're not aware, I think we're talking mostly about like Alibaba, Made in China, Global Sources, right? These kinds of search engines that you can find suppliers online with. And that these can be sometimes a little bit deceptive if you see like a highly rated supplier. The ratings might not be genuine. Is that right? That's right. I mean, there are times where the actual factory might exist in the past. Uh, maybe they just recently closed down. It's very possible that Alibaba or main China, these sites are still listing them. It's very common to actually see when you go visit a factory that a huge factory but with very low production going on. So these are the type of things you have to look out for. This is dangerous. They can't possibly support that many people in that larger facility unless they have full production capacity going on. When you say that's dangerous, I think what you mean here is that it looks like the factory could be sort of on the verge of going bankrupt or shutting down. Is that right? All right, that's highly possible. Okay, great. You mentioned a few points with auditing, and I think most of them relate to a typical quality management systems audit, something that we would call in our company a supplier review. Yeah, that's sort of the basic audit. Other ones that I would mention here briefly are audits for social compliance. Maybe an audit for social compliance could be based on Walmart standards or some other retailer framework. GMP audits, if the factory makes cosmetics, pharmaceuticals, food products, things like that. And maybe a CTPAT audit. Relatively uncommon audit, but for protecting against acts of terrorism. 
So as we move on here into the second main sourcing mistake, let's talk about falsely believing a supplier fully understands you. This is a common issue, I think. And you mentioned in the article, and I agree with this, usually it's not due to any kind of translation problem. It's not necessarily that the factory or the supplier can't speak English. Is that right? I mean, it's often that they misunderstand the requirements or they misunderstand specifications or the customer is contacting them and saying a lot of complicated things in an email that can be easily misunderstood. Is that more to the point? That's right. I mean, for a spec itself, if the factory has a good like engineering department or anybody with an engineering background, spec are very easy to read, to understand. The issue is when importers do not have a very proper setup of specifications, then this is usually when the client themselves write long and complicated emails to the sales and then have the sales will probably have to translate that to their technical department. And even though a lot of Chinese people have fairly proficient English abilities, but the issue is it's still their second language, and especially when it comes to technical language, it's very hard to translate. It's very easy to make mistakes. So this is when you see all the requirement being messed up or something that just not getting through. Yeah, the other point that I would say, and I think you touched on this as well in your article, is that oftentimes if you're dealing with a trading company or a vendor and you know your main contact is often a salesperson, like you said, someone who speaks English relatively well, and the issue isn't always that they don't understand what you're saying, but it may be more due to the fact that their background is not technical. I mean, they're not a production manager. They're not a QC person. So if you're firing off different requirements for the product, they might be saying, yeah, yeah, I understand. But in fact, maybe they don't. Is that possible as well? Yeah, that's highly possible. Another thing that I noticed throughout the years is many of the sales or even for a professional translator, they have a habit of just agreeing or nodding before they actually fully understand what you meant. So when they translate, it can be completely different. Because I know Chinese and English, I often hear when a client tells their people based in China one thing, and then the, the China people nods in agreement and say they understand perfectly. But then when they translate to the factory, it's completely different. Okay. You mentioned a couple documents here that help to really nail down product specs and requirements. Let's touch on those briefly. Okay. I mean, some of the documents are QC checklists and purchase orders. QC checklist is basically a very detailed checklist of all the requirements you have for your products. And this is very important when you're utilizing third-party inspection or your own inspectors over here in China. Because if there's a proof sample, then they can compare the proof sample. That's great. But for some like the bigger type of products or some products you constantly updating, it may not be possible to providing approved samples all the time. So a clear, consistent, updated QC checklist is very important. Yeah, and I would add to that too that you know the QC checklist, it, it breaks down different defects to look out for and how to classify them in the report. So you might not think that a scratch on an item is a minor defect, but for some importers, they might consider it major. And usually it needs to be addressed in the QC checklist for the sake of, you know, inspection criteria and reporting. Let's talk about 
you know, the PO, I think the PO is like the first document that you really would have with the supplier to place the order. And that should set expectations as well there too, right? Right. For POs, you really have to make clear requirements on everything expected. It's basically like a first binding contract with the supplier. So making sure the uh, clear delivery day and any type of consequences for failing the delivery day or meeting the quality requirement should be on the PO. Okay. And you also, in this section, you gave some advice for avoiding some of these issues that we talked about, like having complicated emails that, you know, can leave the supplier not really fully understanding. You mentioned cases where you heard the importer or the customer tell the supplier one thing, and then the supplier go to the factory and say something totally different. What are some ways of preventing that in terms of communicating between importers and suppliers? Yes, for the requirements lost in translation, what you can do is keeping emails and other writing correspondence short and very simple. It can help write as if you're writing to your grandmother. I mean, yeah, again, make it clear and simple. Keep in mind these people are the people who work in the factory or vendor. English is their second language, so it's already hard enough to understand your emails. So just try to keep it simple. And then follow up with phone call or Skype, make sure your message is understood and get real-time feedback from suppliers. Again, always try to ask them to explain back to you what they understand because you often find that what they explain back is quite different from what you meant. So just be patient and try to make everything simple and clear. And if possible, limit the number of contact people you work with to minimize having to repeat yourself. You can find there are tons of people want to try to get involved with your daily correspondence. But yeah, try to keep that limited to a person or two. This way, you don't have to repeatedly doing the work trying to explain yourself to different people from the beginning. Okay, great. Let's go into the last mistake that people make. And this one, I'm obviously, I'm familiar with because it's something that we deal with on a daily basis here. But the mistake is no outside inspection prior to shipping. In other words, not having someone check the goods before they're packaged or after, even after they're packaged, but more importantly, before they leave the factory and ship overseas. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, even if you work with a supplier for a very long time, and unless they have zero quality issues, which is pretty much impossible, you should always try to get your own people a third-party inspection to at least make a final inspection before the product's going out. It's possible that your suppliers are very good at what they do and their quality defects are low, but it doesn't hurt to have an outside pair of eyes to have another look before shipping out. I mean, once it's shipped out, then by the time you receive it, it's probably one month later. When you want to do a rework or anything like that, it would be much too late. It's going to be very costly. Yeah, I mean, there's a few different types of inspection. There's inspection at the beginning, sometimes called pre-production inspection or incoming quality control. But mostly, product inspection is most commonly happening during production and at the final stage when most of the order is finished. Is that right? That's right. It really depends on the type of issues you encounter for for your products. I mean, for some of the issues, the root cause may be before the fat supplier does the final finishing. 
So you have to inspect them before the final coating, for example, for furniture. But if it's just minor appearance issues or scratches or these type of defects, then a final inspection would be sufficient to catch those. Okay, great. As we wrap up here and try and reiterate these mistakes a little bit for listeners, I guess the main message here is to really, as you've said before, you know, to do your homework before you settle on a particular supplier. You know, don't necessarily trust what you see on Alibaba or global sources for reviews. You know, make sure that you investigate a little bit before putting money down. Really work on clarifying expectations with the supplier before you go forward with that order. And make sure to inspect once mass production has started so that you can see the product as it moves through production and before it ships. Would you add anything to that? Well, that sounds like everything. Okay, great. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Chao Wang for joining me to talk about this podcast. And today is actually Chao's last day at InTouch, so it's been a pleasure working with Chao the last three plus years. Good luck to you on your next endeavor. Thanks again to Chao, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in to today's podcast episode. I want to remind you guys to check us out on our social media channels, namely Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn for some daily tips and advice, as well as news updates there. You can check out our YouTube channel for some on-site inspections and interviews with industry experts. Check out our SlideShare channel for some product-specific or industry-specific presentations. And finally, if you'd like to contact us directly, you can drop us a line on our company website. That is www.intouchquality.com. Thank you.